Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm so excited for today's episode. We have a very special guest. We have Andrew Paulson. He is from studentloanadvice.com, and he is going to share with us so much information about student loans because, as you know, we as PAs unfortunately graduate with a fair amount of student loan debt. So I'm really excited to have him on the episode. So thanks for joining us today, Andrew. Thanks, Kat. It's a pleasure to be on today. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I I grew up in a large family and uh, both my parents worked in finance and I, I grew up for a time wanting to be a professional golfer. Uh, and then I reached the, the collegiate ranks and realized that there was only about 200 people that were on tour and there's about 50 million golfers in the U S and I kind of ran those numbers and realized I wasn't going to make that my career forever. <laughs> wow, nice. And, yeah. And so that was a little bit of a tough realization at the time because I was focused on athletics over academics, but I realized I needed to start shifting my focus into academics and, you know, Growing up, I I learned about businesses, and so I was like, oh, that's what I should end up doing. And out of my, I've got three younger brothers, I was really the only one who took to that and was interested in in, uh, in finance and investments. And so, you know, in in school, I naturally studied finance and accounting and really wanted to get the foundation of, of a business because that's what accounting teaches you is how does it work? What are the nuts and bolts? And, you know, just along, along while I was at school, you know, friends and I were really interested in the stock market or in retirement accounts. And, and I really was, had, had, a, had an affinity and a really interest in, in that. And so I uh, finished up my undergrad and my master's degree in, in accounting and uh, got a job in the investment industry. While I was in school, I also met and uh, married my sweetheart, uh, my wife, and she studied nursing. Nice. And while she was in school, she had to take out some student loans. And I was, I was fortunate that I had a lot of scholarship for being an athlete, but I didn't come out with a large student, you know, I didn't come out with student sure. loans, but she did have some student loans and, uh, you know, we had to kind of figure out what, what to do with, with those. Um, but anyways, we both finished up schooling. We moved to the East Coast and I was working with large institutions, institutions helping them manage their money. And um, a little while after that, a colleague of mine, Brett Stevens, who works at the White Coat Investor, reached out with an idea. So, you know, I had grown up, you know, interested in finance, reading finance books. And the White Coat Investor 
uh, we, we actually had their book on our coffee table for oh, years. Nice. And so I was familiar with the company, the platform and, and their mission. And so we had, we discussed this idea of creating a company that was focused on student loan advising as so many of their readers and listeners like yours as well, were making big mistakes on their student loans because sure. they come out of PA school, they come out of medical school and they have so much student loan debt and it's super, super easy to make large mistakes so I was really a great, you know, well, this was a great fit for both parties that I was looking for the opportunity to start a business and I had a background in finance and knew, knew something about, you know, healthcare, my wife being a nurse and also having some student loans and experiencing that firsthand. And, and they were looking for somebody with that profile. And so we started up the company, studentloanadvice.com in, in January this year. Awesome. That's such a great background story. Thank you for sharing that. The White Coat Investor has played a huge role in my financial journey as well. So I absolutely love the company and their podcast and blog and all of their stuff. So I think that it's great that you're affiliated with the White Coat Investor as well. So thank you for sharing that background. And then, Andrew, in addition to your master's degree in accounting that you mentioned, you have also earned your certified student loan professional designation. What all does that entail and how does that set you apart from others in the industry? So the, the certified student loan professional or the CSLP, as they call it, is a, a designation in student loan advising and really the gold standard in, in student loan advising. So it's really about a month long program with, with a certification exam at the end. And, and this was a perfect fit for my background, being able to utilize my understanding of finance and spreadsheets and, and understanding of student loans. And this really helped me round out my knowledge very well to be able to give people advice and to be able to give them recommendations, you know, catered in, in, to, to their, their uh, individual situation. And, you know, how does this set me apart from others per se or differentiate? Well, a lot of people that mo I'm differentiated, differentiated from most others who provide student loan advising because most are, most student loan advisors are financial advisors. Okay. And their main goal isn't to convert, isn't just to get, you know, they want to help you get out of student loan debt, but it is to actually convert you into a financial planning or a financial advising client. Sure. And that's their business model. That's how they make money. Whereas our company mission is solely to help you tackle your student loan debt and give you back that time to focus on the things that you really care about. And all I do is these one-on-one -on -one student loan consultations. So I don't have any conflict of interest out, outside of this, the student loan realm. That's wonderful. It's almost as though you are kind of a fee-only company to work with versus, you know, eventually going into the assets under management in, in the future. So I think that's great for sure. Great model. Yeah, absolutely. And then student loan debt in the U.S. totals over $1.71 trillion. Why do you think that there's such a huge student loan crisis in our country? Oh, yeah, there's it's it's a scary number. And I, I think that one of the one of the first things to, to mention on that is student loan debt is second only behind mortgage debt in the United sure. States. It's bigger than credit card debt. It's bigger, bigger than auto loan yeah. debt. So it, it's definitely a big issue. And I think one of the first reasons why is schools can charge basically whatever they want. You know, when you're going into PA school, you're in a professional degree program, you know, they, they, they can charge you 50K a semester, maybe even 75K. And if you're living in an expensive area, you're taking out that 50K for student loans and then to subsidize your housing, which could easily be 
you know, another ten, twenty thousand dollars. So that's that's the first thing is they can charge whatever they want. Um, secondly, is I think students don't always pick a career that has a good return on investment. Sure. Uh, this, you know, this isn't the case for PAs, right? You know, you are getting an excellent return on investment on your education because you're coming out of a PA school as as a high earner. But I think a lot of people they get into school because that's what everybody does. You know, when you finish when you finish high school, you're supposed to go to college, and and there is, you know, and I think a lot of people should, but some, you know, perhaps are going for the wrong reason and they get degrees that don't end up. Uh, you know, earning them enough money to pay that down. And that, that's why there's, there's a lot of people that are in, in tough positions right now on, on trying to pay down those big student loans. Um, and then another one is student loan repayment is extremely complex. Exactly. So when you have federal student loans or you have private student loans, you know, the interest rates are different. There are the repayment plans are different. The you know, the forbearance is all the different pieces and, and aspects are, are different. The rules are different with each of them. And so this is a tricky process for people to navigate. And it's usually something that they just kind of sweep under the rug. Once I get done with school, actually, once I've landed, you know, a lucrative job out of school or out of training, maybe I'll figure it out. And, and it often gets kind of pushed off to the sure. side. And so that, that's, a, that's a big thing. Another reason why people you know, it, it's partly a crisis because it continues to grow, and they often don't know that they're paying six, seven, eight percent interest on these student loans. Yep. You know, if you had hundred thousand dollars student loan debt, which is not uncommon for PAs, and you have an eight percent interest rate, well, those loans are growing eight thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you put them off for five years, that's like forty thousand extra dollars that's sitting there that you have to end up paying off. Um, and and then one of the last three. I mean, I'm not encompassing all of them, but the, the, it, there's been a large increase in tuition over the years sure. and there has been increases in income, but it has not been commensurate with the increase in, in tuition. And so effectively it is getting harder for people to afford college, you know, with inflation and di- different costs like that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing all those perspectives. I really appreciate it. I think that there are all great points that unfortunately it's very important that people really take into consideration what they want to do, not just going to school without a plan. You know, are you sure that you want to be a PA? Are you sure that it's something that you want to spend the time and money for? And then make sure that you are trying to go to a college that isn't outrageously expensive. Unfortunately, sometimes when you're applying, you might only get accepted into one. And if the cost is outrageous, you have to decide, you know, do you apply again next year? Or do you go ahead and you know, spend the money and then perhaps consider different repayment options down the road and talk to yourself about those options. So it's definitely lots of things to consider. And then Andrew, the student loan pause is set to expire January 31st, 2022. The people who've had federal student loans for this whole time have certainly benefited from a lot over the past several months. So, but what suggestions do you have for our listeners to prepare for this state? Yeah, uh, you know, prior to payments resuming, there's there's a couple of things you need to do. Uh, you know, first off, make sure your information is up to date on the studentaid.gov website. That's the federal website where they keep track of basically all your student loan information. And each of you also has a student loan servicer. So make sure that your information is up to date on your student loan servicer's website as well, because 
you should anticipate email and mail correspondence from them. Sure. Uh, and, 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 and then, you know, the second thing is if you were enrolled in auto pay prior to the pandemic in March of 2020, make sure that your auto pay is set up again. Because, uh, you know, for most, it's not automatically going to kick in come February. You actually have to re-opt in in a lot of situations. So you don't want to come up and then end up missing payments or going into forbearance unnecessarily as that can be detrimental to you. And, and then also, you know, it's, it's probably a great time for people to make sure that you're in the right repayment plan. You know, some of you should be looking to private refinance. Some should be considering some of the loan forgiveness programs like public service loan forgiveness or, or perhaps being on an, an income driven repayment program. So, you know, I know a lot that have graduated since since the pandemic. They haven't really had to make payments. They haven't really had to figure out what repayment plan is. So it's a great time to figure out, you know, what where, where should I be going? What, what payment plan should I be on? And, you know, if if you're absolutely certain about private refinancing your student loans. So this means converting your federal or your current private loans into a private student loan. And, you know, one of the large reasons why people do it is because you can get a lower interest rate typically. So most of you who have been borrowing recently on with federal student loans, it's going to be somewhere in the six to 8% range, I, I'd assume. And also, if you took out some private student loans, those can be really anywhere from, you know, two to 12% where those, they have some variable interest rates sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, so if, if you are going to, to look at private refinancing, because come February, you know, those, those federal interest rates are going to kick in, uh, you know, you can get quotes from, from private lenders. Sure. And hypothetically, if you wanted to start making payments in, in February, you can get quotes in January. And they usually give you a 30 to 60 day period to decide if you want to move forward on that. And, you know, the biggest reason why is going back to that example of $100,000 of student loan debt with an 8% interest rate, that's $8,000 of interest that you have to pay before you're going to start paying down any of that principal balance. Whereas you could probably get it down to 3%. So that's, that's only $3,000 a year, which that's saving you $5,000 yeah. a year. You know, and over a ten-year period, you know that's that that's that's a huge amount of money that you can end up saving just just through understanding, you know, if private refinancing is is a good route for you. Exactly. Yeah, those were all excellent points. And in the vein of private refinancing, I made many financial mistakes right out of PA school, and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast in my company. But one of the huge financial mistakes that I made as a newer PA was that I did refinance with a private lender, which was SoFi. And I don't view that as a financial mistake. I did not have someone like you be able to walk through everything with me. So it's possible one of those other repayment programs might have worked a little bit better for me, but I still felt comfortable with my decision to refinance. However, after I refinanced with SoFi, I paid on my student loans for many, many years. I believe about five years until for some reason it dawned on me, why the heck did I not refinance again? So that was a huge financial mistake where you can refinance your student loans with a private company, whether it's the same private company or a competitor, multiple times as you're paying off those student loans. But my question for you, Andrew, is how frequently do you suggest that PAs review the interest rates on private student loan companies and consider possibly refinancing their loans again for lower interest rates as they're paying off their debt? 
Yeah. And you know, Kat, you're, you're not alone in this. Sure. I think a lot of people make that mistake. A lot of people just keep their federal loans because they don't really know that there's something out there better for them through private refinancing. And usually there's, I'm talking about those of you that are not considering non-for-profit or 501c3 type jobs. Okay. You're, you're working in, you know, private practice typically. Uh, and so, you know, how often should you be doing it? I, I, I would, you're looking to private refinance your student loans. I'd probably check like once a sure. year, uh, you know, just, just as, or if you had a significant life event, like you got married, you finished training, you know, or you moved jobs, you moved from a nonprofit into a private practice, you know, any different types of life stages that, that come up can end up being beneficial towards private refinancing because what they look at when they're offering you terms is they look at your income, your job history, your savings, your credit, uh, you know, and they, they factor all those in. So if those things change, like, you know, three, four years out of school, you were in a much better financial situation, I assume, Definitely. right? Definitely. paid down a huge amount of your yeah. debt. And well, at that point in time, those private lenders are willing to give you a much lower rate because now you know, you're, you're in a position where they feel a lot better, right? Where you're not going to default on their, on your loan, uh, you know, or hypothetically, because that's the risk that they run with anybody is when you private refinance, they're taking risk on you that you're going to end up paying that back. Yeah. So, so like I said, I'd, I'd say any, you know, probably about once a year, I'd try that. Or then if you do see interest rates dropping, you know, up until this this year, really, we've had rates going down for a number of years. And I've had clients that they private refinanced at like a three-year interest rate or a 3% interest rate rather. And rates went down to a point where they're paying like less than a percent on their student wow. loans. And the timing just worked out. It doesn't always work out that way. But, you know, if rates did drop, you could look at it. But we're kind of in a time right now that it looks like inflation is starting to really push up and the Federal Reserve who controls interest rates, you know, and then the, the student loan interest rate is based off of basically whatever the Federal Reserve says it is, then it will probably start to, to tick back up, I'd say, over these next couple of years. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And to the point of you're probably in a better financial situation a few years after graduating too your income is probably higher at that point as well. So usually you start at somewhat lower of an income, um, hopefully not too low. You should obviously always try to negotiate. But then with time, you often get a little bit of a raise or if you do switch specialties or switch to a different employer, then often your income's higher. So you can often get a better interest rate with a higher income too, depending upon your whole financial situation at that point. Kat, I was just going to say like one other thing that, that you just need to be aware of when you do private refinance your student loans is federal loans have a number of protections. Like your payments can be based off of your income. There's a plethora of loan forgiveness options, one of which we'll, we'll talk more about, which is called public service. Yeah, loan definitely. And, and also, you know, if you pass away and you can't practice medicine or, or you, know, you pass away or you become disabled and you can't practice sure. medicine. Your loans, when they're federal, are discharged tax-free. Once you do private refinance, you can no longer go back to federal student loans. And generally, those payments are are fixed. And they're they're based off of whatever the loan size is, maybe probably $2,000 or $3,000, $4,000, whatever it ends up being. And there's less flexibility on repayment. 
and also if you do pass away or you become totally or permanently disabled, usually those loans are discharged, but they're discharged tax-free. And some don't even have a, a, a provision in place where they're discharged tax-free, where you actually have to end up paying the entire balance. And that usually falls on the shoulders of a spouse, let's say, if they ended up co-signing with sure. you. So just, just another little, little something to, to consider when you're going down that Definitely, path. definitely. Thank you for pointing that out, Andrew. It can be very appealing to refinance with a private student loan lender, especially when you see those low interest rates and you think that the company mm-hmm. looks good and see all their commercials on TV and things like that. But it is a huge decision. You know, those federal student loans, even though they have higher interest rates often, like you said, they can certainly have a lot of benefits. So again, I think that having somebody like yourself to talk to, to go through this process of analyzing your particular situation is so important. So thank you for pointing that out. And then as we mentioned, PAs often graduate with over six figures in student loan debt. Not all PAs, but many PAs do, sometimes almost as much as med school debt, depending upon where they went to undergrad, where they went to PA school. How can these new grad PAs initially evaluate their loans and decide what strategies to use to pay back their loans? Because there's so many options. Yeah, definitely a, a loaded question, and I'll, I'll preface it that it's quite unique for everyone's situation. If, if you're single or you're the sole earner in your household, or if you're, you know, a dual earning household, it, it can get, get more nuanced, you know, from to, to, into those individual situations. Uh, but, but I would say that the first thing that you need to ask yourself is to, really two questions is what is your debt to income? So think about, you know, if your debt's $200,000, that's your student loan debt, and your starting salary is, is going to be 100 Sure. you know, right, at, right, out of, right out of PA school, that's a debt to income ratio of two. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, just an example. And then the second question to ask yourself is, what is your employment or future employment look yeah. like? Are you going to work in a nonprofit or are you going to work in a private practice? Because that decision also can can you know determine what repayment plan that you should go on. Uh, you know, and the, two, the two main ones that I see PAs doing are private refinancing their student loans, like you did, or doing public service loan sure. forgiveness. Okay, and and there is one other case that people will do that's called taxable loan forgiveness. That instead of it being a ten year payment plan, you're on there for about twenty to twenty five years. But I only see people doing that if their debt to income is three or four or five times. Sure. So you're coming out of, uh, out, of, out of school and you're making, you know, 150 and your student loan debt is you know, 600K, let's say, something like that. that that's where I, and you're not going to work in a nonprofit. That's kind of the only case I see people looking at taxable just because it, it's not like public service loan forgiveness where you get, you make 10 years of payments and then your loans are forgiven tax-free. Well, actually, after making 20 to 25 years of payments, whatever your loan balance is, at the end of that period of time, that is added to your, your tax yeah, returns. The tax bomb. And then it gets taxed. Exactly. It's, it's the, the tax right. bomb. So let's say it's $300,000 and you're in a high high tax bracket. You know, I'm, I'm just using a whole number. 50%, you know, that's a $150,000 tax bill. It'd be somewhere in that 100 k that you'd have to pay in a lump sum that year. Um, kind of getting back to, you know, how, how do you figure out what, what to do and, and which payment plan to be on? Uh, 
you know, if if your debt to income is is two to one, I'd say you should definitely look at loan forgiveness. Sure. So I'm, I'm talking about that situation of 200k of debt and 100k of income starting. You know, definitely look into public service loan forgiveness if you're going to be working in a nonprofit because the numbers almost always work out in your favor in that case. Now, when your income and your debt becomes more level, like maybe you know 150k of debt, 150k of income, it, it's a little bit more of a toss yeah. up. Um, I, I'd still consider looking at loan forgiveness, but in the cases where your income is more than your debt, that's you, you can probably private refinance and just pay those down in, in, a, in a speedy manner, and that'll be behind you. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and you know, factoring in the, the employment, if if you're planning to work at a nonprofit, you should definitely consider PSLA or public service loan forgiveness. And if you're planning to work in a private practice, that's where you wouldn't qualify for PSLF, and you'd most likely need to to refinance. Yeah, exactly. Before we go into a little bit more for PSLF for those details. Do you mind clarifying that the taxable payment programs are IDR plans, correct? I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners. Yep, yep. Those are IDR plans. Yep. Okay. Thank you for that. And then so we did touch on PSLF, but do you mind sharing kind of a brief overview about what this program is? And then, like you said, which PAs could actually benefit from it? What type of employers they would have to work in? How PSLF works? The payment length of time, those types of things of the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, starting with, you know, the, the basics of, of PSLF. So it was, it was really enacted back in 2007 is when this came up. So it's, it's still generally new. Uh, and there's a couple of requirements uh, that there, there's really four main requirements. Number one, you have to have qualifying employment. So that means that you're working at a non-for-profit sure or a 501c3. So you can check at whatever job you're working at. You can just Google that and and, and see what it is. Uh, And then the second one is you do have to be working full time at that qualifying employer. And this is usually whatever your employer categorizes as a full time. I think letter of the law is about 30 hours, but you could be working at two different qualifying employers part time. And as long as those two employments met to full-time, then you would be fine to do that. Uh, You you also have to be on a qualifying repayment plan. So this is, these are called these income-driven repayment plans where your your payment is based off of your income. An example, if you're making 120K a year, well, that's about a $10,000 a month paycheck, 10% of that paycheck. So basically $1,000 would be what your monthly payments would be in an income-driven repayment program. So there's there's four income-driven repayment programs, repay, pay, income-based repayment, and income-contingent repayment. And we see most PAs are looking at pay-as-you-earn and revised pay-as-you-earn. Those are kind of the newest, latest and greatest ones. Little, little bit of nuances to them. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then and you can also be enrolled in the standard 10-year payment plan as well. Those payments do count. But just disclaimer, if you make 10 years of payments in a standard 10-year payment plan, you would have paid your loans off completely. And you ended up just paying the 6 to 7 to 8% interest Exactly. Rate. So don't yeah, do that. Don't be an overachiever. Don't just stay on the standard <laughs> payment plan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, and then the last requirement is to make 120 on-time monthly payments. If you fulfill those those requirements, you would then be eligible to receive uh, public service loan forgiveness, which is tax-free loan forgiveness. 
And, you know, as, as I was talking about earlier, if you're planning on working in a nonprofit, I definitely consider it. You know, the numbers almost work out in your favor if, if you do. And if, if, if you're a new paid VA who isn't going to do uh, public service loan forgiveness, that, that's when you, you want to look in, into private refinancing. And, you know, talking a little bit in terms of who is this, this going to benefit, like we had talked about earlier with those debt-to-income ratios here, where if your debt is more than your income and you're working in a nonprofit, you should definitely, yeah, definitely. look into the numbers, run the numbers. That's something that we do every, every day with people. So if you need help on that, we can help you. Uh, but but if, if you're trying to decide and base your, you know, the employment based off of if you're going to do this loan forgiveness or not, I don't think this is the sole reason why you should work in a nonprofit, right? Um, (laughs) You know, I I think it's definitely something that you should consider. And particularly for those of you that take fellowships and take trainings out of PA school, this this can, you know, end up helping you as as well if you do loan forgiveness, Um, just because you have a couple of years that you're not making nearly as much as you are in full blown um, out out of training and out of school. But yeah, like I said, if if your income is is more than your debt, that's usually where I would look to private refinance and where public service loan forgiveness is probably not going to be much of a value add for you. Definitely. Yeah, I think that the point that you made too about don't pick your job based on whether or not you will qualify for PSLF is very important because it's a decade of your life that you are committing to. So you want to make sure that you like the company, you like where you're working, you like the non-for-profit, wherever you end up. You don't want to just pick it because you can get your student loans paid for. You want to be able to see yourself working there for a decade. So I think that was a huge point that you made as well. Mm-hmm. And then, Andrew, PSLF unfortunately has a little bit of a bad rap sometimes. Do you mind speaking on that? Why have people run into issues with it? I know there have been some amazing success stories that Dr. Dolly has interviewed on the White Coat Investor for sure. So it's an awesome program. But do you mind kind of sharing about some of the struggles about PSLF that people can encounter? Yeah, it's it's no lie that the program has has been a bit of a disaster, I think, for a lot of people. And you know, part, part of the reason of that is you have to follow the letter of the law. You have to be fulfilling all the rules. And I think a lot of people, when this program was enacted back in 07, were like, oh, there's some loan forgiveness program. I'll just throw in an application, throw up, you know, throw something up against the wall and see if it sure. sticks. And it didn't. You know, you, you had to have fulfilled all the different requirements to get there. And prior to 2010, a lot of you out there, when you were taking out loans for, for PA school, were taking what were called Family Federal Education Loans, or FFEL okay. loans. Okay. So even though the PSLF program was enacted in 07, you could actually have received loans up until 2010 that were not eligible for public service loan forgiveness. And let's say that you worked for 10 years at a qualifying employer, you made all your payments on time, you kept track of all of that, and then you submitted a form right at the end to qualify. And they told you, no, those loans don't qualify. You actually have to start over. Oh, man. Start from Devastating. scratch. And, and that, that's definitely happened, right? And, you know, there's been a lot of poor press on public service loan forgiveness. You know, I think rightly so in some cases where it's, it's been talked about that nobody can get it, that it's actually just a lie or whatever. But it, it does work. 
We have seen clients that are actually getting public service home forgiveness as long as they really dot their I's and cross their T's. And, you know, you just have to be really committed to doing it. And if it is a value add for you, it's definitely something you should look into. And I think I also just wanted to share, there's some news that broke last month that is on public service loan forgiveness, you know, based on trying to make some changes and to improve it. Now, any borrower that made payments, let's say you were not on a qualifying repayment plan, you were in the extended, which is a 25-year repayment plan. Well, now all of those payments will count as long as you had qualifying. So all you have to have was qualifying employment. And then a lot of those of you who had these FFEL loans, payments towards those loans didn't count. And the only way to get those payments to count is you had to do a direct federal consolidation, which just consolidates your FFEL loans into the direct loans, which are currently the eligible loans. Well, you know, in the past, if you did that consolidation, your payments start from zero again. You have to start over, which was really frustrating for people. Well, now, now they've made it so if you've made past payments on a wrong repayment plan or on the wrong type of loans, all of those credits will carry over. Nice. So if you are in the camp where you've been making payments for a while, you know, you, sh- you should definitely look into that. So, you know, bottom line, they're really trying to improve this program. And, you know, even, there is some risk that they could change it, mm-hmm. right? You know, I think in 10 years time, you know, it's probably going to look different, the loan forgiveness program and even what the repayment plans are. But current borrowers would get grandfathered into whatever whatever the changes were. If they were beneficial, you could opt into that. And if they were going to be detrimental to you, you could stay in the current uh, system. Sure, sure. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds as though the PAs that could benefit from PSLF definitely need to be very detail-oriented because, like you said, they have to keep track of those 120 qualifying payments. And throughout those success stories that I've heard, people have mentioned that sometimes, unfortunately, they're keeping track of the payments, but the people that they're you know trying to pay will miss a payment. And so they you have to keep track of that proof. So it's really important that if you're not a detail-oriented person, maybe hopefully your spouses or somebody that can help you with that, because it's really important that you do take the time to make sure that you aren't missing anything, keeping track of it. But even though it sounds like that might be somewhat of a pain, obviously there can be a giant payoff and reward in the future. So definitely thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. And, you know, I would just say for those of you that are doing public service loan forgiveness, there's 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 some changes going on right now in, in the student loan world. There's two large loan servicers. One of them is FedLoan and one of them is Navian. And they service 16 million people out there. And some of you are probably in in the audience are, are getting your loan service sure. by them, you're going to get switched to a new loan servicer at some point, I'd assume next year. And, and so if, if you're planning on doing a loan forgiveness plan, I would just try to get all your ducks in a row right now. That means filing those what are called PSLF certification forms and getting whatever past payment count credited to you know, wherever you're at right now. Because if you don't, it, it might be hard for that new servicer to pull records up from a defunct sure, servicer. That makes and sense. Fed loan is currently the only loan servicer that works with people that are on track to the public service loan forgiveness. So, you know, make sure that you send in those forms. Uh, and, and also uh, in, in terms of, of documentation, all you need is to have payment documentation that, you know, it just comes right out of your checking. Account. Like that, that, that's where the payments are coming from. And so when they come back with issues and they've made payment mistakes, 
then you can send it to them in writing, here were the payments that you missed. And because they'll also, they'll give you a report of what payments are qualified and what happened. Great. And that, that's the type of stuff that we look in, in depth in in our consultation. Awesome. Awesome. And then for the people who are trying to pursue PSLF, and just in case it doesn't work out for any reason, or let's say they're planning on you know, working at an employer for 10 years, but maybe five or seven years down the road, they do switch employers and it doesn't work for them or things like that. What type of advice would you suggest that people try to do to help offset that risk? You know, I've heard some people talk about like a side fund. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I and I just talked to clients yesterday that were in this situation where they had pretty big student loan debt and they were, you know, looking, looking to do public service loan forgiveness, but a little bit worried that, Hey, what if things change? Or what if I, I don't want to have my job at, at the hospital anymore in five years and join a private totally. practice. So I, I recommend uh, a side fund. And so the way to think about a side fund is looking at your payments in an income driven repayment program. Let's, let's say that your monthly payments were a thousand dollars a month. Okay. And you instead, so you look at what that number is and then take what would you, what would your payments look like if you private refinance to a 10 year private student loan and what that payment is. Maybe it's $3,000 a month. So what I would recommend doing is, is putting like, you know, whatever that difference is between the federal required payment and the private student loan payment, you could put that in a side fund, right? Or maybe it's in mutual funds or an ETF or whatever sure. your preferred investment account is so that over time, you're kind of building this this nest egg in case that if it doesn't work out, you have recourse on hand to be able to pay that down. And that, that works as a safety net. And, you know, if PSLF works as it should, you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars or, you know, somewhere in the hundred thousand dollar range that you can use for a multitude of different things. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think that if I were in the position of wanting to pursue PSLF, I think having the safety in the back of my mind of having that side fund would be very reassuring. And like you said, being able to invest some of it if you feel comfortable doing so, or perhaps if you want a pretty safe, low risk option, maybe looking into a high yield savings account and have your funds kind of sit in there, but at least earning some interest over the years too. I believe we've touched a little bit on this so far, but if a new PA is not going to aim for PSLF, does refinancing with a private lender often make the most sense for many of them? Or in what particular cases would an IDR plan be something to consider? Yeah. You know, the situations that I was talking about earlier, if your debt to income is three times or four times, you know, your, your income. I, th I think that is a case where you could be looking to stay on that long-term taxable forgiveness track where you're going to be making about 20 years of payments. But for any of those of you, and that, that's assuming that you don't work at a nonprofit, because if you did work at a nonprofit, you'd just do PSLF and be done for 10 years. And so, so then for, for those of you that, that have better, you know, your, your income's 100000 and your debt's 100000 Definitely, I, I would I would look into private refinancing. I, I would no longer be paying that six, seven, eight percent interest rate when you're just going to, you know, end up paying this down the old school way. So that 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 is a really a shoe in for somebody to refinance, and that I mean, and that can generally be done right as you finish school, or right as you finish, you know, your when you're starting a training. If you end up going into a training period. And, you know, you no longer want to be paying that higher interest rate if you don't have to. 
Yeah, I completely agree. That's great. So Andrew, thank you so much for showing your value to the listeners today. I think that there's going to be so many PAs out there that can really benefit from studentloanadvice.com. But how else do you feel like you can help our listeners that you know are coming out of PA school? They may not have a ton of student loans. They might. They just kind of feel stuck. They have so many options as to formulate a plan to start tackling those student loans. How do you feel like that you can help them formulate a plan? Yeah, you know that's that's what I do uh, every day. Is is I meet with PAs, doctors, dentists, you know, healthcare professionals, and other other hires that have a lot of debt, and I help them get an optimal plan, understand you know all these different questions of how, where do I start, right? Yeah. And you know, should I refinance? Should I do public service loan forgiveness? Uh, you know. And, and, and just helping them understand all the range of, of their different options. And I really help them get lined up to the optimal plan. And, you know, aside from this, this one-on-one consultation, I create a customized plan for you that you have, that you can own, that you can play around with the numbers. And I also provide you with uh, you know, email follow-up, you know, should, should any other questions arise. So that those are often people that some of that are like, I'm, I have no idea where to start and others that, they have a plan, but they just want to make sure that this is well-oiled and, and, and the best one that they can be on. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And for the listeners out there, for the PAs who are either new grads or are PA students about to graduate, or perhaps you have been paying for a year or so and you still want a little bit more advice on your student loans and repayment options, you can connect to Andrew by going to studentloanadvice.com slash PAFI. And you can find him there and connect. But how else, Andrew, can the listeners connect with you? Yeah, you know, those that's that's a great way there. Go to our website. You can also find me on Instagram. It's student loan advice. Uh, or you can even reach out to me via email. My email is Andrew at studentloanadvice.com. So if you think you have some questions that aren't aren't too complex, you can you can also do that. Uh, and I'd be happy to to help you out. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate the service that you are providing for PAs. I think that it's so important and great that you're doing that. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise today, Andrew. Thanks for having me on, Kat. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on. But more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.